I V M. On this episode of Pesa Vesa, I speak with Dhawal Kapadia, Director, Portfolio Specialist at Morningstar. We are going to talk about SIPs. What do you do with them? Do you hold them? Do you increase them? Do you start new ones? We're going to look at everything: large caps, mid caps, small caps, and we're going to give you specific recommendations. Stay tuned for that. Folks, welcome to Paisa Paisa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter. We are going into a new financial year, and that's always a good time to assess your financial goals, where you are on your investments, and how your investments are looking. You know what? I was just having a look at my own SIPs, and it was a mixed picture. I mean, you know, just look at the Nifty FI19. The Nifty was up nine percent, which is a good news. But then there's a the bad news, right? You look at the small caps. The Nifty small caps is actually down twenty percent. The Nifty mid cap is down seven percent. Debt fund side kind of looks good, so, you know. So overall, it's kind of a mixed picture. And obviously, your own mutual fund SIP performance might have been better, might have been worse. It depends on what you chose and which schemes you went with. That's how SIPs works. Question is, what do we do now with our SIPs in this new financial year that's coming up? Right, you have a lot of choices, and if you have been, if you've been thinking about what to do with them, then this show is exactly for you. Why? Because my expert guest will talk you through all of this. So let me get on to introducing him right away. Dhawal Kaparia, director, portfolio specialist at Morningstar. Dhawal, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for doing this for us. Let's start with a background to yourself. You know. How long have you been working at Morningstar? And let's start with that. Thanks, Anupam. It's a pleasure being here. You know, I've been with Morningstar now for close to five years. You know, overall, I've I've got I've been in the financial markets and and in investments for about you know for more than twenty years now. And sort of you know investments and and uh, markets are in a way a passion for me. Hmm. So you know, I like what I'm doing. And uh, you know, in terms of you know what I've done in terms of my educational background, I've you know after my graduation i did my post graduation that is mba in finance okay. and and later i completed my cfa which is a chartered financial analyst program from you know from the us and the cfp which is a you know certified financial planning program offered by fpsb in india out here okay so so that's in a nutshell nice, what i've been doing nice list yeah. of qualifications mba cfa cfp now well, i was reading in the papers the other the other day that um, you know the sib momentum so to say in terms of the number of sips being registered and things like that is kind of slowing down we're not seeing the same pace that we used to see back in 2017 when the markets were booming or even in some part of 2018 these days you know people are looking at the investment statements their account statements and saying that i've i've invested for 2 3 years and my sips are not showing any returns what do i do where do i go so i want you to help our listeners address this topic and we're going to do this in two parts right we're going to sure. talk about a person who already has an sip maybe one two three sips what should he do and the second is someone who's completely new to the markets and he he's planning to have sip so let's start with the first category let's talk about equity funds okay someone like me i've got two or three sips in the small and mid cap space and i think it's just totally it's gone i think i'm just cost to cost in a few there's probably a loss in some what does one do here in the small and mid cap space sure so i think i think that's a great question you know and and like you said top of mind for a lot of people you know if you just take a step back you know what is the concept of an sip and why would you want to do an sip sip essentially just to expand the term is nothing but a systematic investment plan what that what that means is is that you're taking small chunks out of your money 
whether it is you know a regular income that you're making a regular salary that you're drawing you're taking small chunks out and investing that you know money over a period of time with the expectation of building a larger corpus to meet hopefully a long term goal that you have in mind so you know that is probably the objective that you're starting out with along with that what an sip helps you to do essentially is because you're putting in small chunks of money say every month or every quarter you are able to invest at different points of time in the market so in other words you are avoiding the biggest challenge that you know not only you know retail investors but even you know big investors or very you know successful investors mm-hmm. face is mm-hmm. getting the timing right yeah. right so you are avoiding that by putting in small chunks of money at different points of time so you are able to then in in other words you are you are also employing a concept that is called as you know buying more when the markets are lower right because mm. you'll be investing at different points at some you know in some months the markets will be higher in others they'll be lower and so on and so forth so to my mind i think you know you should not be concerned as an investor if your sip is underperforming or has not generated a good return say over a one two you know probably even at times a three year period what i would be looking at is is maybe five and 10 year kind of periods because that is the typical horizon that you should have you know when you are sort of starting off your sip so therefore if i were to look at even today hmm. say five year and 10 year returns particularly the 10 year returns you know if you look at even in the space that you mentioned say the small and mid cap hmm. the sip returns are still you know uh, in the range of about you know 12 to 14% that's nice largely so it's which is which is yeah which is something that you know probably one would start off by hmm. you know with with expecting that you know i should generate you know a 12 to 14% kind of a return over a period of time so those are still there right so i would say that you know as investors you'll have these periods and on the contrary being an sip investor if you exit now you're hmm. probably doing the wrong thing because in a way you're getting an opportunity to buy the market i mean when i say the market is small and mid cap space sure. like you said earlier you know as corrected by what 20 odd percent hmm. you are losing that opportunity to buy the market at a lower level correct so to me it it goes against hmm. you know that that uh, basic sort of you know grain of thinking that you know you should be looking to buy at lower levels and so on and so forth so the first recommendation outright is to continue your sip by and large yeah uh, unless you, unless one uh, you assumes that your horizon was short term in the first place or yeah. you don't have that you know appetite to take the volatility but i'm assuming that you know you have a typically longer term horizon yes. say a 5 to 10 year kind of a horizon and a, at least a moderate kind of a risk appetite okay so continue with your sip whether it's a small or a mid cap fund that that thing is for sure any case for increasing you think someone who wants to take that risk do you think that there is any sense in that you know another thing in fact before uh, answering that question is that it is also important to keep a track of the funds that you're invested in okay. so one is i say that you know at a at a broad level you should continue your sip but you need to evaluate the funds that you're invested in from time to time so okay. that is one thing that one needs to keep in mind sure. in terms of increasing the sip i think probably at least the way we are seeing it right now is that there is probably some space for probably a little bit of a more correction hmm, hmm. so i would say maybe just hold on right now okay. not increase it immediately hmm. you know maybe just wait wait out a bit before okay. before one does that okay and i know that morningstar does a lot of data analysis in mutual funds okay is yeah. there any recommended list of mutual funds that you have that you tell uh, your users because i know on your on your website you have these ratings so is there anything Correct. that you'd like to share out here yeah absolutely so you know uh, like like you said so at morningstar up you know fund research is is one of our sort of core competencies and and you know areas that we've been working on 
uh, for the last several years not only in india but you know in other markets as well hmm. and uh, and you know the ratings that we come out with just sort of to point out in a nutshell so are also a mix of backward looking and forward looking ratings so we have uh, something that is called as a star rating sure right so which goes from 1 to 5 star which is based on historical risk adjusted returns hmm. so that's a purely you know quantitative driven rating okay the other analysis that we do is a forward looking analysis and the idea is that as an investor you want to know one is how the fund is performed historically but at, clearly at the back of your mind the question will be how is this fund expected to perform going ahead so therefore we do some assessment in that area and come up with you know ratings that we call as the you know qualitative ratings in a way so they are called as medalist rate so gold silver bronze you know where we sort of assign a conviction you know to the fund based on certain parameters sure and i'm sure that the listeners can go to your website and have Absolutely. a look at it so what Absolutely. what what will be the gold uh, funds here for in yeah. small mid cap yeah so i would say uh, you know not necessarily gold so it's not to say that the silver and <laughs> okay. bronze are not so great so sure. i would if i were to sort of you know look at a combination in terms of funds that might you know that we probably think are looking good in the small cap space uh you know one could look at an hdfc small cap fund uh this is managed by a uh, major called chirag setalwad he's sure. been an old time hand at hdfc he's been managing the hdfc mid cap opportunities which today is the largest you know mid cap fund in the industry mm-hmm. so he's taken over this fund about you know 3 or years ago it's an old fund but he's taken it over about 3 years ago so that's one yeah so that's one another one is franklin smaller companies again franklin has a pretty strong process a pretty sort of experienced team that have been sticking around for a pretty long time so you know we like that fund house and the way they sort of work you know on the equity sure, side as such sure. so you could look at franklin smaller companies okay mid cap you could look at dsp mid cap mm-hmm. now this is a fund that's managed by vinith sambre mm. uh, he's again a uh, reasonably old handed dsp he's been in the equity markets now for about you know 20 odd years and so on and so forth so mm. he's done well with the erstwhile micro cap strategy and he's been running this for a while now okay uh, so you could look at that fund okay that takes care of small and mid cap okay this i <laughs> to me that's the most simple part large caps what's the deal yaar dhawal because i was having a look at one year returns for large cap uh, mutual funds i didn't see you know i could probably just see maybe one or two actively managed schemes the list was full of etfs and index funds sure. so what what does one do with a large cap yeah. sip so i think that's a very good point and a very good question that you know last one year what we've seen is essentially what you're saying is that the etfs or the index funds which which are passive trackers of mm. you know of the index as such have done better than the active funds so one has to dig a little bit deeper to understand what's actually happening in that space or what has happened over the last about year year and a half and if you do that you'll see that the index has been driven by just a few stocks a handful of stocks have driven the performance of the index and some of most of the actively managed funds have been underweight some of those stocks so mm. when i if i were to name them so for instance a reliance industries or you know an hdfc and so on mm-hmm. so some mm-hmm. of these have done exceptionally well against you know most people's expectations i mean some of these stocks are fairly richly valued they were hmm. richly valued even to you know, a year with, or yeah. two ago yeah. but those have continued to do well and so therefore the market has <coughs> been what we call as polarized so you know you've got one set of stocks that have done very well most of the other stocks haven't done that well so 2018 kind of a year has been to that extent unusual so therefore you see a lot of these actively managed funds underperform sure so the way we would analyze it and probably investors can do that easily as well is to look at calendar year wise returns 
say over the last five, six, seven, eight years to see how actively managed funds, at least the top ones are doing vis-a-vis the index and therefore the ETFs. Okay. So in most cases, we've seen that the actively managed funds have done well across all of these years, barring a 2018 kind of a year. Sure. So in, in short, I would say, or in summary, I would say that, you know, probably one should probably largely stick to actively managed funds hmm. over a period of time, maybe the what we call as the alpha, which is the additional return above the index would hmm. tend to come down. Hmm. Uh, but at this point of time, I would say one should still, uh, you know, stick to actively managed funds. Okay. Any recommendations? Yeah. yeah so uh, again, uh, you know, we like funds and fund houses, which particularly fund managers that have been, you know, consistent over a period of time. And so to name some of them is, for instance, Aditya Birla Frontline Equity, mm-hmm. Mire Asset India Equity, which is like a large mid kind of fund, but largely, uh, you know, the underlying allocation is mostly to large caps. Mm. And thirdly, one could look at an HDFC Top 100. So again, you know, these funds fall in the bracket that I was mentioning, you know, managers that have been managing these strategies for, for long periods of time, mm. have been consistent, you know, across market cycles. So they will have... I mean, if you look at the performance, you you know you will see some blips from time to time. Yes. But then the the idea is to look at it over the longer term. Yes. So like I said, the same way is look at you know five, six, seven, eight, ten year calendar year wise returns to get a better sense of where you know these guys are placed. Understood. And again, so the recommendation outright is a clear continuous IP. Do not stop. Yeah. Okay. So I, I would say that. Yeah. Sure. So we've covered small mid cap uh, mutual funds. We've covered. Large cap funds. I think we're done with the equity space here for someone who, who already has an SAP. I mean, we're quite clear in saying that you should continue your SAP. And you've given, I think, about five or six recommendations. Listeners can uh, listen to that. Debt funds. Yeah. What's, you know, what's happening out here? Because I think 2018 was also a pretty rough year for NBFCs. You had a lot of crises coming up, whether it was in the form of the ILFS or whether in the form of DHFL. A lot of uh, funds have been kind of, you know, shaken up with these events. Of course, at an NAV level, we as retail investors might not see a very big fluctuation. But what's your view here? Okay. And again, what should we do? Right. Yeah. And some recommendations. So, uh, you know, clearly, like you said, what's happening is that there has been some sort of a shakeup in the uh, in the NBFC sector, maybe a few more corporates as well. So, you know, within debt funds, there are multiple categories. Yes. So, you know, there is a category called as a credit risk category. So this category tends to hold funds which which invest in in slightly lower rated paper. Sure. So a bulk of the portfolio will be say in something like a double A rated and below rated kind of papers. Some of it could be in A rated hmm. uh, as compared to a triple A, which is a top rated kind of paper. So these funds clearly, you know, one needs to understand the returns can be potentially higher, but they are taking an element of credit risk, right? Hmm. A fair element of credit risk. There are other categories also which have, you know, some of these funds. So these funds have, uh, the funds that have been taking, you know, some level of credit risk have seen, you know, these challenges with with some of their portfolios and probably the entire thing has not yet played out. So we could still see some of it come up over the next few months, sure. you know, with names like like Z or, you know, DHFL and so and on they're and so forth. the papers every day. Correct, correct. And if anyone's exactly. holding that paper, that's going to be a risk. That's exactly. That story still yeah, 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 yeah. So, so what I would say is that, you know, uh, as investors, maybe at this point of time, uh, you could stick to safer credit, stick to funds which, which hold like, you know, uh, in fact, not only just AAA, but maybe banking and PSU hmm. stocks only. So there are hmm. categories of funds. Or there is a category called as the banking and PSU you know, fund category. Yes, yes. So yes. this this category typically invests at least eighty to one hundred percent into 
debt instruments that are issued by banks, banks and public sector enterprises. Yeah. So from that point of view, they are relatively much more you know, safer than a lot of the other segments in the market at this point of time. Right. So I would say maybe stick to those, uh, you know, the current juncture. Okay. Yeah. So that takes care of the credit risk funds. Anything of liquid funds or maybe medium term funds or maybe longer term funds, depending on the interest rate cycle, wherever we are. Anything on that? Yeah. So, you know, so, you know, interest rate cycles are are very difficult to call. So very recently, in fact, you know, most people, most economists did not expect RBI to go ahead and cut rates. Big move. In the very recent policy. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, if you can imagine that economists are finding it difficult to, (laughs) so for retail investors, it's, it's all the more difficult. So I would, you know, typically... Uh, maybe unless you've got a good advisor, somebody who can, or unless you track, you know, what's happening yeah. to interest rates more regularly. Hmm. I mean, I would prefer to sort of, sort of stay safe and okay. and invest in the shorter term category. I mean, we can talk of funds at the longer end, but then well, I, yeah, I don't that's know. That's a different story altogether. So specific recommendations. Yeah. So, you know, at, at in the category that I was talking of, say, the banking and PSU, which essentially would look at the one to three-year kind of, you know, uh, maturity bucket. Hmm. One can look at, say, a Kotak banking and PSU fund. There is one from Reliance. There is one from SBI. Okay. So you could look at, you know, they all have will have the same, you know, names as such. So sure. Kotak banking and PSU or Reliance, you know, banking and PSU and so okay. on. Okay. One category that's become very popular for a lot of people because they think that it's an alternate to, uh, uh, to a fixed deposit. And, and I'm not going to go into whether it is or it's not, but on the liquid fund or the ultra short term, whatever they call it, yeah. do you have any recommendations? There? Yeah, so absolutely. Again, I would look at, you know, funds which uh, given, you know, what we discussed earlier in terms of where, you know, some of the issues on the credit side, hmm. I would tend to look at funds that would have, you know, uh, a much more cleaner portfolio okay. with high you know, credit uh, sort of quality in that sense. Sure. And there you'll have funds from, say, like an IDFC. So there are these IDFC cash funds. Hmm. You know, one could look at that. There are funds from, you know, say from a Reliance or from a Kotak hmm. in a similar kind of a bucket that, you know, one could sort of uh, okay. look at. For specifics, uh, folks, you can go to Morningstar's website and have a look at all the ratings and rankings on the top funds for recommendations. And on that note, we are taking a small break. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Welcome back, folks. Just a reminder, we are doing the SIP special with Dhawal Kaparia, Director Portfolio Specialist at Morningstar. Dhawal, what does a guy who's new to the markets do? Okay, we spoke about someone who already has an SIP. And I want to take this opportunity to get in a topic which I know is also very close to your heart. And I know it's a very basic thing, asset allocation, diversification. Okay, for someone who's just starting off, let's talk about how he should be looking at doing his investments, maybe for the next I don't know, one year, may, let's look at a 10-year thing. I mean, this is the SIP special after all, right? So let's only look at 10 years of horizon. Sure. So, you know, the first thing to try and understand is along with an investment horizon, one should try to assess one's, you know, risk appetite. That am I willing to take, you know, what is the level of risk that I'm willing to take? All said and done, you know, over longer periods, uh, equity funds, you know, tend to do well. But over shorter periods, you should be able to bear that, you know, like what we're seeing right now, you should be able to bear that, that volatility. And, mm. and to be honest, periods when, you know, there could be your, your portfolio could show a negative return. So, you know, to what extent are you prepared to do that for a long term goal that you have in mind? So that that will drive, you know, the asset allocation that you choose, despite having a long term horizon, which, sure. you know, one would typically recommend a slightly higher allocation to to equity for a long term horizon. Hmm. So if you're looking at a 10 year kind of a period, I would say anywhere between, you know, 50 to 
70 percent or maybe even going up to 80 percent if you've got you know fairly good yeah, risk yeah. appetite uh, we are looking at someone who's maybe i i, I don't know say a 25 year old yeah. who's just starting okay. his job and starting his salary he's got a nice sure. long runway to go not many financial commitments you know so he'll probably have more than 10 years but i'm saying just just as a test case let's Fair say that it is for Fair 10 years so. so i would say anywhere between uh you know 50 to 80 percent allocation to equity hmm. the remaining could be uh you know in in debt as such and debt is also important to to cushion the volatility that you see from time to time. And at times, you'll have periods when, and you've had those periods in the past when debt markets have actually done better than <laughs> equity. So that may not happen every year, but yeah. then, you know, that sort of adds a cushion to your portfolio and diversifies your portfolio in a way. And the concept of, of asset allocation is nothing but, you know, not putting all your eggs in one basket. So that's the basic sort of idea that we are looking at. Sure. You know, and just to take that a step forward, on the equity side, I would break it down into two portions largely. One is domestic equity. Hmm. And the other is international equity. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, you know, so that's a concept that people in India probably have not yet taken to in a big way. I haven't, right? Because I yeah. thought you say your two buckets are large cap and mid cap, but you're saying <laughs> that actually it's domestic equity than international. Tell us more about that. Absolutely. So, you know, if you look at it at a slightly broader level, you know, most of one's investment, so whether it is, you know, people's jobs are linked to uh, companies in India out here, some of them might be multinationals, but otherwise you're still you know, linked to the Indian economy. Sure. If you're making you know, debt investments, fixed deposits, public provident fund, PF, all of it is sort of, if you've, got, if you've purchased real estate, that's all sort of linked to how the Indian economy is going to perform, right? Right. So there will be periods when things don't go so well. You know, if you go back, and if I can just go back a few years, sure. so like a you know two thousand six two thousand seven period, you know everybody thought that the Indian Indian economy can grow only at nine percent and nothing below that. <laughs> yes, those are the days. And since since then, hmm. till now, yeah. we still haven't seen a nine percent <laughs> GDP growth. And rate. even the nine percent is probably revised. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. we yeah so we haven't seen that right. So yeah. the reality is it's very difficult for people to really take a call on exactly so. The economy is definitely going to grow at a reasonably good pace. Sure. The point I'm trying to make is, is that how do you as an investor diversify your risk that is linked to you know, one particular economy in a mm. way? Mm. If that doesn't go so well, then what do you do? Right? So therefore, that's where you know, investing in, into international markets or international equity markets per se comes into picture. So that's mm. where I said that you know, maybe if you've got, say, a 70% allocation to equity in your portfolio, you could look at out of that 70, maybe about a 10 to 15 percent could mm. be diversified into international equities as such. Okay. So there are funds available out here uh, which are offered by uh, you know fund companies which invest say in the US market or in the European market or the Asian market. Some examples. Yeah, so there is a fund called as an ICAC Prudential US Blue Chip Fund. There is a Franklin uh, US Opportunities Fund. On the European side, again, there are a couple of funds from Franklin. There's a fund from Invesco and so on and so forth, right. which you could sort of you know consider uh, like I said, as part of your asset allocation to diversify your portfolio slightly more widely. Sure. Just to specify out there, these funds, my guess is that they'll be taxed differently. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So that's a very valid point. So they will be taxed as debt. Hmm. But but I, it's, I in fact on the now with with uh, last year's changes to equity taxation, hmm. where you know one year plus uh, the long term capital gains is being taxed now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with international funds because they're classified along with debt. Right. Uh, you need to hold for three years to classify for long term. Right. But the benefit that you have vis-a-vis -vis the pure equity fund or right. an Indian domestic equity fund. Right. Is that you can claim indexation benefit. Right. So you are able to increase your cost and right. reduce your tax liability. Yeah. So effectively you'll 
you could actually be lower than equity taxation <laughs> yeah. over a five, uh, you know, three year plus kind of period. Okay, and I think we do know that for the last, uh, I think after the uh, the global financial crisis, back, U.S. markets have done significantly better. So anybody who was invested in a U.S. fund might have actually be absolutely uh, would have done well. Okay, Thawal, so we've covered the. Uh, I don't know whether to call it conventional or not because people today uh, view the stock markets as conventional. But 20, 30 years ago, uh, what was conventional used to be real estate and gold, right? Correct. Because people used to make investments at that point of time. They could just think of real estate, they could just think of gold. Do you have any views on these two? And I know they're huge categories, right? Sure. Real estate and gold. What's your views there? You know, although I'm not an, I wouldn't call myself as an expert <laughs> in real estate. But then I would say from an asset class perspective, real estate definitely has a merit and a position in one's, you know, broader allocation or one's broader portfolio. And the reason is typically returns from real estate tend to adjust or beat inflation over a period of time. Hmm. So therefore, from that point of view, they are attractive. But, you know, there are risks and challenges, which, you know, over the last few years, we've seen some of them really surface. You know, illiquidity is a concern at times, transparency, which to an extent has been addressed by RERA and so on and so forth. Sure. But I would say, you know, if, if one is able to afford it, and now today affordability is also still a, probably a challenge. Hmm. But, you know, allocation to real estate uh, is something that one can look at maybe up to, you know, you know, say 10 to 15 percent of one's sort of portfolio. Depending on risk appetites and stuff absolutely, like that. Absolutely, absolutely. The big one, gold. So gold is an interesting one, right? So, uh, you know... Uh, Physical uh, gold. <laughs> yeah. So traditionally, Indians have been buying gold and there is there was reason for it that it's, it's a store of value. So when yes. everything goes bad in a way... Gold still will probably have its relevance, you know. So that's the sort of, uh, you know, attractiveness of gold in, in that sense. And it tends to sort of beat inflation over a period of time. The last few years, you know, gold hasn't really done anything. So, you, mm-hmm. you know, you look at gold prices, they, they've not generated anything at all. But I, I would still think it has relevance in a portfolio from, you know, hedge against all these risks that we're talking of. So like a 2008 kind of period, Mm -hmm. gold did, you know, relatively well when everything else was, you know, equity markets, bond markets, everything was doing poorly. Right. So I would say maybe up to a 5% allocation to gold uh, should be all right. Okay. And, uh, you know, if I were to look at underlying instruments, and that's an interesting, you know, point out there, Mm. people have been investing in either physical gold or ETFs. But over the last couple of years, the government has come up with this concept called as a sovereign gold bonds. Yes. So where... They pay you an interest, you know, which is sort of unheard of, uh, I would say, anywhere probably in the world (laughs) that nobody pays you interest to hold gold. Right. That's right. So, you know, you could probably look at, you know, that as an option. And the way it works is that I buy a bond on today's gold price. Correct. Right. And then I hold it for whatever, one, two, three, whatever is my time period. And and then once or twice every year, the government pays me a nominal interest on my holding. Correct. Right. That's right. And then whenever I want to sell... I will get the market rate or how does that work? So typically you will have to lock in. So these will be, you know, these are bonds where you'll have to stay locked in for oh, a period of time. Okay, yeah. okay. And on maturity, the government will give you, you know, the value of gold that's ah. available at that point of time. Okay. Uh, so it's a locked in instrument. You, like you, you buy today, then depending on the tenor of that, at the end of its, ma- its maturity. So you're basically playing the increase or decrease in the value of gold. You're getting a small interest rate. Small interest, exactly. Per year. Okay, folks, that is a wrap on the SIP special with Dhawal Kapadia, Director, Portfolio Specialist at Morningstar. We hope you found this useful. Uh, Dhawal has given a lot of specific recommendations for mutual funds in the small cap category, in the mid cap category, in the large cap, uh, large cap category, and also on debt funds. 
to know all about morning stars ranking you just have to go to the website which is morningstar.in correct right that's right yeah so go to the website have a look at all the mutual fund rankings out there and take a decision uh, based on whatever is your financial risk return and as always consult a financial planner i hope you found this useful dhawal thank you so much for your time thank you for doing this with us yeah pleasure was thank, thank you, you. No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.